Before I begin this morning's sermon, I want to take a moment of pastoral concern to speak of this particular day in our country's history and really something that touched the entire world now 15 years ago. And of course, I'm referring to September 11th, 2001. I don't know about you, but I sure remember where I was. I suspect you do too. I was in my office, and as the news was coming, my staff gathered with me, and we had a little small black and white TV with rabbit ears. And we watched the horrific scene that we can never get out of our minds of the planes crashing into the Twin Towers and burning. And my director of Christian education had a daughter who was flying into New York City that very morning. And we had no idea whether or not she was safe. And she was. And then when I got to Greenwich a few years later, uh, found that many in my congregation there had been touched personally. Nobody had died in my congregation, but many had friends who were victims of that great tragedy. And, and people could watch from the shoreline in Greenwich, watch the towers burning. And when you see the impact on lives personally touched by this, it's, it's horrific. It's hard to imagine. It's been 15 years, really. So much has happened. The world has changed. The way we live has changed. The way we fly has changed. And yet there is so much to learn. So many ways we need to grow as God's people in this world. Because terrorism and the acts of terrorism continue. And they're going to continue. And we're not going to be able to stop it all. And I simply want to say that as we go on, which we have to go on, that we're called as people of faith not to fear, but to hope, to love. Not to return evil for evil, but to love which is the hardest thing in the face of such tragedy and evil. I don't have answers. I doubt any of us do. But we have to go on in hope, with perseverance to do what we feel is right in God's eyes, and that we have to live as people of faith in a dark and tragic world. And that's my hope, is that we will do that. We will be a hopeful people, not a fearful people. We will be a loving people, not a hateful people. We will be a giving people, not a tight, closed people. So our thoughts are with the families and those who suffered such great loss 15 years ago. Because my guess is if it's as real for us as we remember this morning, it's like it happened just yesterday when you... Bring back those images. Think of how real it must be and how painful it still must be for those families who were directly touched. The other thing I want to do before uh, beginning the sermon is just to take a quick moment to thank two people who um, did a lot of work this summer, and I am extremely grateful. And that, of course, is Michael Moorhead. And... (laughs) 
who from every report I've gotten did a fabulous job. And uh, Carl Johnson, who's in the back. Carl, you want to just stand so people can thank you. I'm indebted to these two friends and colleagues for their uh, worship leadership throughout uh, the summer months, so uh, a big thank you to them. And, and last week, for those of you who were here, you may remember that uh, Michael um, was so kind when he said um, that uh, someone's in the house. He said, David Young is in the house, and, and uh, I felt really welcomed back when you did that, so thank you. Um, but i got to tell you, there's somebody else in the house that's even greater even more important. And guess who that is? The secret is out. God is in the house. God is in the house. It wasn't you. <laughs> it wasn't anybody here. It was God. It, was, it is God who is in the house. And we're here to celebrate that today. Now, whether this, uh, today is kind of like, we're calling it Fiesta Sunday. It's Churches call it Homecoming Sunday, Kickoff Sunday, Rally Sunday. There's all kinds of ways to express it. We're, we're calling it Fiesta Sunday, but it's the Sunday when we gear up for the year ahead. School has started. The programs start to gear up here at the church. Um, and whether this is your first uh, Fiesta Sunday here or your second or fifth or tenth or twentieth or fiftieth or more, um, we're delighted you're here, and it's my hope you will experience and know God's goodness. God's goodness. Because that's the starting point, isn't it? To remember and to celebrate and to know God's goodness. When you think back to the beginning, to the very beginning, and we read about it in Genesis 1, each of the days creation uh, is unfolding, we hear about the heavens being created, the stars and the moons and the sun and all these things. At the end of each day, the writer was very, very intentional to say, and it was good. Then the plants, the animals, the fish of the sea, everything came, and, and again, each day, it was good. And then on the sixth day of creation, when God created humankind in God's likeness, all of us, and the billions of people who have gone before, and the billions of people who live now, at the very end of that sixth day, when humanity was created, God said, It is very good. Very good. Very, very good. That's the starting point to celebrate with God and with one another God's goodness. Now, creation is such a beautiful thing. I want you, if you're willing, to just go through a portal in your mind, if you can, to some place, some place here in God's wonderful world that you've either been or that you know of that just brings you that connection to the creator and how good creation may be. I have a place I can go to in my mind, but you have one in yours. Maybe it's Yosemite. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Maybe it's some simple place. Maybe it's just being down at the beach. But I would encourage you just for a moment to go to that place. Can you do that? Can you just kind of go to that place in your mind and, 
If you need to, close your eyes for just a moment and, and just think of God's goodness, God's beauty in creation. Now, if you're near a, a Bible, we're going to do something a little different. I want you to grab a pew Bible. And you can share with others in the row if there aren't a lot of them. I don't know that we've ever done this before, but we're going to try it. I want you to go to Psalm. Go to the middle of the Bible. That's where the book of Psalms is. And go to 148. And for those who have access to one, we're going to read together Psalm 148, the first five verses, as we give thanks to God for God's goodness and as we praise God for God's creation. So is everybody at 148? And we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Thank you. We give thanks to God for the beauty of creation and for all God's goodness that we experience in creation. But there's more. The Bible tells us more. God's goodness comes in God's relationship to people. The stories of God's goodness are rampant throughout the scriptures. But we hear them, as we did in the scripture from Ezekiel, that when the time of the Exodus came and the children of Israel were brought out of slavery into the wilderness, God's wrath began to be kindled because they were unfaithful. And God wanted to undo them. And then God thought better. God decided to forgive these unwieldy, ungrateful people. And so God did. And time and time again, God forgave the children of Israel. And that story of forgiveness runs throughout the entire Bible. That is evidence of God's goodness and God's grace. God's grace simply means, if you want a definition for grace, it's God's goodness freely given. God's goodness freely given. That's what grace is all about. And we, as God's children, are called to grow into God's goodness. That's, that's what we're called to do, to grow into God's goodness. And then in our Ephesians text, it talks about God's immeasurable power and greatness put into Christ. You see, Jesus didn't come already, already fully equipped. He had to grow into God's goodness. He had to grow into that grace. Luke 2.52 tells us he grew in wisdom and stature. His was a growth process, just as ours is a growth process. And he, he discovered, he yearned for, he, he found out 
something of God's goodness in the way he experienced his own life and the lives of those around him. And then he figured out how to get in touch with that and in tune with it, and he lived it out. He became the best Jesus he could possibly become. And that goodness wasn't just simply nice acts. Oh, aren't you nice and being nice to people. That's not how he lived the goodness. He finally lived it. He challenged people. He upset people. And the goodness of God lived out through Christ was fully embodied on the cross. That's the immeasurable power of God's greatness and God's goodness put into Christ. Paul said, All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. When we love God, We will participate in goodness. We won't be perfect. <laughs> don't, don't fool yourself. You're not going to be perfect. None of us are. None of us will be. But we can participate and share in the goodness of God. And what a gift and what a graceful moment that is when we discover it and then live it out. It was um, William Clark who said that the glory of our religion lies in the reality of the good God. When you know God and God's goodness, you know there is something to live in and to live for. As the writer of Genesis said, that's very good. I want to share a story. It comes from one of the great preachers of the last 50 years, Fred Craddock. He was a little guy, probably 5'2", 5'3". Not very big in stature, but boy, when you heard him preach, you would have thought he was a giant. He died a year ago, but he's been such an inspiration to so many. He shared a true story about his sister, Frida, Frida was dying of cancer, and um, he went to visit her. He knew it would probably be his last visit, and um, they, were, they were visiting. And, and she asked him to help plan her memorial service. Well, this took him a little off guard, even though he was a minister and a preacher. Uh, this was his only sister. And uh, he did. He, he did. They worked together, and... And when they were finished, she asked him to pray. And here's what he said. I placed myself. I placed myself in front of the throne. I placed myself in front of the throne of God Almighty, the powerful, good, life-giving God. And so before I closed my eyes and began to pray, I placed myself in front of the throne. 
And so I did. And I closed my eyes and I prayed for her relief. I prayed earnestly for her healing and for all that could be for her yet in this life. And then I ended with Amen, lifted my head and opened my eyes, and there before me was the bleeding lamb. And I thought, that's not what I want. And then she died. But there it is. The good, ever-present God with us in our struggles and in our suffering. That is a deeper, more powerful sense of God's goodness. When God is with us like that, we may not be doing all the oogly googly, tingly goodness, wonderful celebration kinds of things in those moments, but we know deep down that God is good and that God is with us and that God loves us and God never, ever abandons us. God's goodness can be counted on even when we don't feel it. Take the word good. G-O-O-D, and take out the word God, take out G-O-D, and what are you left with? A big goose egg. Do it for God, do it for good, and it works for God. Do it for God, and it works for good. We are not called to embrace everything as good. We are not called to embrace everything in the world as good. We are called to open ourselves to know that God's goodness is there behind the scenes, somewhere waiting to be discovered. We cannot always count on goodness in the world around us. Look at 9-11. Look at all the other horrible things that happen. These things are not good. All these things are not good. But by faith, we hope in something good beyond the present evils and beyond the ways people behave and treat each other, which sometimes is downright despicable and deplorable. But in spite of all that, we are called to have faith trusting in the goodness of God beyond all these things, that there is new life, that there is new hope. I can only point you to God's goodness. I can't make you see God's goodness in your life. I can only point you to it and encourage you to grow into God's goodness. Not just today but for your entire journey of life. May you be blessed at the deepest levels of your soul by God's goodness, which is ever-flowing.
and ever free. Amen.